everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alleycast podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome to signing day, folks, or I suppose I should say, I hope you had a wonderful signing day, which is like pre-Christmas for, for the Alley Cats. You know, <laughs> we had a grand old time. Hope you did as well. We're going to cover uh, all of the signing day news, but obviously it's the weekly recap show. So we're going to go over the new commits first, then signing day and our thoughts, then men and women's basketball, and of course the wacky segment of the week. But Let's just start. Maple jump scared me. <laughs> she, she got me too. <laughs> uh, let's start with the first of the new sets of commits, of which there are five of them. The first one comes from the transfer portal ranks, and that is former cornerback for the North Dakota State Bison, Marcus Seigel. And honestly, he's a, I think he's, Listed at either six foot or 5'11", 198. To 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 put it short, before you go into a more elaborate detail on him, to me he's literally just Josh Hayes too, but younger. Yeah, I I think that's a an apt broad description. Obviously, they're going to have some differences, but he really is quite similar to Josh Hayes in a lot of ways, and I think that we're probably intending on using him in a similar way. Uh, I think that. Uh, he fits us really well. He was only a sophomore this past year uh, at North Dakota State, uh, registered 27 tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, two interceptions, including a pick six and three passes defended. And in this film, he shows that he's a very hard hitter uh, and honestly has a pretty similar play style to Josh Hayes, which I would describe as a downhill man coverage guy. And uh I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him move from corner to safety here. Um, although he could end up playing a nickel role. I don't really know, but he's a versatile secondary guy. And also he follows the path of Josh Hayes, except without the stop at Virginia in between. So I, I like the pickup a lot. And of course, Kleiman is going to feel comfortable taking a guy from North Dakota state. Cause he's familiar with that staff and understands that they're going to be bringing really high quality guys that do have power five potential. So I like the Marcus cycle edition. It's kind of flying under the radar a bit with all the high school guys signing and getting Keegan Johnson out of the portal as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it has flown under the radar a bit more than I anticipated um, but I, I like his stat line a lot as well. Again, that only tells part of the story, but it's very diverse. Uh, shows a lot of tackles, but also the sack, force fumble, multiple picks, and a uh, pass deflection. Uh, I like the versatility of that stat line. Anytime a defensive back has a sack, uh, especially a corner, that piques my interest. It, like, it makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Like, how did you manage that? But yeah. he, uh, Cat blitzes, baby. Yeah. But he's, he also he plays really fast uh, on the back end as well. Uh, so I, I like a lot of what he brings to the table. Again, this is more generalizations. It's been about a week since I've watched his film at this point. So it's not fresh in my mind. But uh, I do like what he brings. And I imagine that we'll probably be seeing him next year. Yeah, I think he immediately I, – I agree with you. I do think he slides over. I think he becomes that jack safety or a strong like he's like I said that's the role that Josh Hayes played. Him and Drake Cheatham kind of split that jack role whenever Drake Cheatham wasn't also playing free where he was more natural. But you know, I 
I really like this pickup because our safety room, again, assuming he plays safety, I don't think we could coax a corner to come here by looking at our room. I I mean, we already did it with one, but that that's a special case with Will Lee. But yeah. I, I really like this pickup just so we have that depth at safety and we're not having to push someone into a situation where they may not be ready. So, you know, Marquez, Seigel, welcome to the family. Next up is a flip, which Connor and I, I think we expected a flip, but I'm not sure this is the one we expected because it kind of, it kind of just spawned out of nowhere for us. And that is tight end 6'5", 235 tight end from Regents Jesuit in Aurora, Colorado, and a flip from Colorado, and that is Andrew Metzger. And first things first, Connor and I were both really hesitant about taking a second tight end. After last year, we took two tight ends as well, and still having Ben Sinnott be, what is he, a junior? True junior? I I think so. I think so. We're, we still have Ben Sinnott on the roster, and we have Braden Lofton, you know, Garrett Oakley, who we're both pretty high on, We and Will Anciao coming in in the same class. So we were like, well, this guy has to be, you know, we were hesitant. And then we watched his film, and you were like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, we get it. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that encapsulates how I felt, really. Um, I was not super happy at first about taking a second tight end, but watching his film, it just makes all the sense in the world. And I think the staff probably felt pretty similar to us. I think that they were sitting there probably um, thinking, why did we take another tight end uh, when we have Ancia already and uh, an in-state guy that I think will be really good. Uh, and then Garrett Oakley, who we both really, really liked when we did our recruiting evals last summer. And then Lofton as well as a freshman. And then still uh, Benson at Will Swanson, the programs. So why would we take another tight end and jam the room even more? But then you watch this film and it, it all clicks at that point. He, his film is very fantastic. I think, and I think he's going to end up being one of the more underrated prospects of the cycle, which there's arguments for all sorts of guys for that. Just because I think that there's a lot of quality athletes in this group, but Metzger, I really like, uh, he has great range. He's a very fluid athlete for his size at six, five to 35. Uh, and he is actually a pretty good blocker as well, which is one of the downsides of the other tight ends of some of the other tight ends that I mentioned, like Oakley and Anciao. Not just a uh, more receiving guys; those guys are. But Metzger is a bit more complete in that regard. Although tight ends still have a lot to learn, and they jump from level to level. Uh, but Metzger, he he's really good, uh, and he's a lot like Anthony, where he has really long arms, so he has great catch radius as well, and great receiving instincts. He and Anthony are quite similar, but Metzger probably brings a little bit more in the blocking game, uh, and is maybe a little bit more ready as things stand. Although I doubt we see him early. Yeah. Uh, to me, Metzger and Ancio or Anciao have the, the similar skill set and that they're both amazing receivers. To me, I think the distinction is that out of the box, Andrew Metzger is a more natural, traditional Y tight end. And Will Ancio is a better, better Y, a better uh, F or like wing tight end, that second tight end that you rely on more for either split blocking or more receiving opportunities. 
because as what Andrew Metzger has in blocking ability, he trades Will Anciao for the receiving ability because Will Anciao was literally a receiver <laughs> in high school. He was, he was literally just a big receiver. But with these two in mind, like our, our, I would not, I would be completely unsurprised if we just didn't take a tight end next year at all, unless someone just like, again, spawns out of nowhere, has insane K-State interest, and also happens to have like insane and developmentals, basically. So I'm not saying that we're going to go out and get like a four-star guy that's going to contribute immediately, because that's not the nature of the beast here at K-State. But, you know, if, if we get like, you know, a low three-star, high two-star guy who's maybe just learning the tight end position, but has insane measurables or athletic ability i think that's the guy we take but that's either here nor there andrew metzger is the commit that changed our minds the fastest whenever he committed basically yeah because i yeah like you said wasn't super enthralled by the idea of another tight end but watching his film i was made okay with it very fast um that and this is a direct head-to-head win against nebraska uh, and also Colorado because uh, he was a commit under the previous staff and then was offered again by the Deion Sanders staff, um, but after a bit. Um, so that he ended up leaving anyways and uh, is now at K-State. So that's a, a big win for K-State over Nebraska. Michigan State gave him an offer pretty recently as well. Uh, so that's a, that's a big win for, for the staff, which that's going to be a pattern. Yeah. Which, speaking of, this this next one might be the, the second biggest recruiting W, at least of the high school cycle, and that is linebacker from Waverly Shell Rock, Iowa, and it's Asa Newsom, a 6'4", linebacker who is a consensus three-star on on-three, but a four-star on the on-three in-house rankings, and there, so you know how much we liked Jake Clifton last year. I believe I had him number three in the recruiting rankings, and you had him like number two or one. You either had him two or one. It wasn't one because I had Toby O's number one. I uh, but I had him pretty Yeah, I had him pretty high. It was at least in the top six. Yeah. Asa Newsom, no disrespect to Jake Clifton. I think that he is significantly better. <laughs> Newsom, this is a, so for lack of a better word, gargantuan recruiting dub. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love Asa Newsom. The first thing that jumps out when watching his his huddle tape is that he will go out and play Mike Linebacker, and then the next series is uh, taking jet sweeps. So uh, that... <laughs> That, that speaks a lot to his athletic ability. Uh, he's a track athlete as well. Uh, I love the uh, desire uh, for the staff to go out and get athletic linebackers. Um, and Asa Newsom is exactly what we've been waiting for, I think, because uh, he brings that great size at 6'4", 205, but also has great run defense instincts uh, and shows really good coverage instincts as well, which it, most of the linebackers we've been taking have been a little bit underdeveloped in the pass coverage department. But Ace is definitely further along, uh, I'd say, than most of the other guys that we have there. I He's someone that I could see getting on the field a little bit 
uh, earlier, not necessarily as a starter or anything like that, but I could absolutely see him getting snaps here and there, especially if there's any sort of injuries that happen. I, I could see him being a guy to step up kind of like Jake Clifton did this year, but Asa Newsom has a huge, huge, huge recruiting dub. Um, this is one that K-State had to fight really, really hard. Uh, he had several power five offers specifically. We had to beat out Iowa, Kentucky, Minnesota, Stanford, Missouri, and then he also had Nebraska and Vanderbilt offers too. Um, but I mean, there's no getting around that this is just a huge, huge victory. And this is a recruitment that most other years, in fact, every other year, this one isn't one that goes our way, I think. But with the way the momentum has been going for K-State and how much recruiting has upticked, and then on top of that with the Big 12 title and then just relentless pursuit by Chris Kleiman, uh, this one falls uh, our way. Or I should say we made it go our way. I shouldn't put it like it was up to chance. Like we, yeah. we, we made this happen. The staff made this happen. And they deserve a ton of credit for the Ace to do some recruitment because I did not expect this to go our way yeah. for 95% of the cycle. In fact, 99% of the cycle. I didn't think it was going our way until last night when it happened. So <laughs> for a couple of nights ago, I guess at this point. So I don't know. What what else do you have to say about Asa? I mean, we to to kind of spoil the next one, you and I thought it was a different guy. We thought it was a different linebacker. <laughs> yeah, when, when we saw the uh, cat signal, we thought we had a good idea of who it was, and it was not at all. We still got him, but it was uh, a little later than we expected. So Asa Newsom, I, I I'm thoroughly pleased with this. He brings some versatility as well. Uh, he'll probably be a Mike, but he could be a Will. Um, I think, and I'd be totally fine with that too, uh, just because of his uh, length and athleticism. I think he could do both fairly well, but I think Mike is going to be his natural position. Yeah, I think he eventually sits down at, at Mike, and but I think he has stops at well linebacker. I really do think that him and Jake Clifton are probably going to have the same roles, which I, if our linebacking room, we'll, we'll just move on to the next one. So welcome to the family, Asa, because then we can talk about the, the linebacking room on the whole. Because the next commit is from the junior college ranks from Hutchison Community College, and that is Terry Kirksey, a linebacker originally from Alabama and the number 20 JUCO player in the country, and that is Terry Kirksey, 6'4", 220. And... You know how we just went on about how Asa Newsom is like pretty much the prototypical Mike linebacker for what we'd want. If there was anyone slightly closer to that, it'd be Terry Kirksey. And there's not much else to say. It's a good recruiting victory. We held off a, we held off a few people that were vying for his services. And we got an insane run defending linebacker who has coverage upside. And he will step in and probably become either the number one or number two Mike linebacker on the depth chart immediately. That's actually a battle I would I'm watching is Jake Clifton versus Terry Kirksey going into next year. I think Kirksey probably wins it, but I think Clifton gets in on sub packages, but that's neither here nor there. What do you think about Terry Kirksey? Um, the thing that stands out in his film is his ability to sift through the trash, I think, and run defense. That and his run defense instincts in general are fantastic, I would say. 
uh, I mean, he was on a national title appearance team. I don't think they won. I think they lost to Will mm-hmm. Lee. Yeah, Will and... Lee ended up winning. It was just Will Lee. No one else was on the team. Oh, yeah, of course. But uh, he could have won it by himself, probably. But, <laughs> um, but Terry Kirksey um, flew a little bit under the radar as a Juco guy. Uh, Washington State, uh, KU, Nebraska, Purdue, um, and I think Indiana – yeah, Indiana as well also offered uh, a little bit under the radar for, I think, the quality of prospect that he is. Um, he, I think, like you said, could probably contribute next year. Um, I, I'm i really happy with this addition. Um, there's a solid chance that he'll come in and start immediately, I think. Uh, I, I like him a lot and his ability to defend the run. Um, his coverage instincts are fine. Um, but mainly he's good at identifying that he's good at play recognition and identifying where the ball is and where it's going. And I mean, that's exactly what he went out of a Mike backer that he has good, he has a good control over uh, the defense as well. Uh, and he commands it pretty well. You could say he's the captain of the defense and Terry Kirksey. He's a, he's a high quality addition uh, to this team and fills an immediate need with the expected departure of Daniel green to the NFL so we we do need an experienced linebacker, although I think Jake Clifton could probably do it. We need at least one other guy uh, there. We we can't just have a one deep at Mike. That would probably be inadvisable. But Terry Kirksey, I, I really like this addition a lot. This is another one where I feel like Climbing and Company hit it out of the park. I feel like I'm saying that a lot. It makes me feel like a homer. But at the same time, this the staff really had it their best cycle, the best cycle that K-State's had in years uh, for recruiting. And they, they do deserve a lot of credit for it, which we'll get it. We'll continue with that later. But yeah, Terry Kirksey, a really, really good addition uh, for Mike linebacker. We'll be hearing his name a lot next year. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome to the family, Terry. And finally, finally from the new commits is wide receiver and army all American. From Arizona, six foot four, one hundred and eighty pound wide receiver, Trey Spivey, and he also already has a rapport with Avery Johnson, and he's currently listed as a three star on both the consensus and on three in house. Firstly, the thing that strikes out to me is that he's literally, if you put all of the other receiver commits that we had into a blender and only got their good aspects, <laughs> like if you. Speed of Wesley Watson, the route running ability and acumen of Jace Brown, and the contested catch skills of Andre Davis. That's Trace Bivey. And yeah, it's Thad Ward has immediately stepped up and Colin Klein with the new offense and Avery Johnson by virtue of existing has really stepped up the receiver recruiting and. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, this is a guy that we definitely don't get if this is last year. Um, it's another one of those recruits. Uh, I really like Trace Spivey. I think you put it well. He is a lot like a lot of the other guys that we get. He's probably least like Wesley Watson, yeah. um, just by virtue of Wesley Watson, just kind of being more of a slot guy. But uh, Trace Spivey, I I really like him. Really good route runner. Great contested catch guy. Another receiver. This is something that I think is becoming obvious as we're going after guys that have really long arms everywhere, kind of like the uh, the basketball team does. We want guys that take up a lot of space, have long arms. 
um, and increase um, their catch radius by virtue of that. And Trace Spivey has a really big catch radius. Uh, and then also he comes from an athletic pedigree. His dad is Junior Spivey, former second baseman uh, in the major leagues. Uh, and he uh, so obviously has a pretty good athletic tradition there. His mom was a track athlete at Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State was one of the biggest competitions for him, but K-State beats him out. Uh, beat out Arizona as well from uh, his native state. Uh, Arizona State offered as well. KU offered. Uh, Washington, Washington State, and Wisconsin, UCLA was circling. Uh, and BYU, I should start mentioning BYU because they're about to be Power Five. So, but they, uh, but yeah, this is a big, big win uh, for KSA. Came down to signing day uh, for his announcement, at least. And yeah, he brings a lot to the table. Uh, and this is the best receiver class K State has had maybe ever in terms of on paper. I think obviously there's going to be classes of guys that where there were several fantastic athletes uh, that panned out later. But I mean, a guy like Curry Sexton was like a two-star walk-on and then he ended up being a thousand yard receiver senior year. Part of that was Tyler Lockett existing and putting Curry Sexton all alone on the other side of the field. But regardless, uh, Trace Spivey, I I love this addition. Uh, Something that was also impressive on this film uh, was his, um, uh, uh, small area quickness. I don't know if that's a term that exists. It's short area. Short area. Short area quickness. He uh, well, not only shows a lot of strength uh, in that, but it also makes him have both possession receiver and uh, a playmaker receiver qualities where he's gonna, he has that run after catch ability that you want, but he also has the catch radius and route running ability to be that possession guy too. And he, he does both with a pretty high level of effectiveness. And I mainly am liking his ability to make guys miss and just contort his body to get around guys in uh, small areas. It's kind of reminiscent of Malik Knowles. It's not quite the same. He's not quite as uh, twitchy as Malik in that regard, but he is just crafty in the way that he makes guys miss in uh, short areas. And it, it's impressive. It, it, it's just another tool in the toolkit for him. And I, I like him a lot. Uh, his speed is good. He, I hate to say he's a little bit deceptively fast because he does have really long, long legs and it's just kind of a skinny guy. So he just doesn't look as fast as he is, but uh, he, he is still pretty quick. He's not the fastest receiver in this class, but he uh, is, is still pretty quick, uh, but he's just not going to be a burner. That's just not his game, but Trace Spivey, huge recruiting win over uh, peer schools, I would say. And um, I, I'm really happy that we got him because Avery Johnson seems to really like him as well. Yeah. And if there's one thing that you should, that we've learned is chemistry between a wide receiver and quarterback is insanely important. Yep. But now we can go over the entire signing day class. On three has it ranked as the 34th class in the country, sixth in the Big 12 which is up from 62nd last year and ninth in the Big 12 last year. And I believe 24 – someone has this top 30, if I'm remembering correctly. The 24-7 composite has us as 29. Rivals has us as 28. So there's that. Yeah, And then that's a jump. Uh, we're 28 – we're 29th in composite this year on 24-7. Last year, we were 63rd. Yeah. 
So a semi-significant jump, allegedly. Yeah, yeah allegedly. So we're going to kind of go over a little bit of the full class. And by that, we it's not the recruiting episode. So what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to go through top to bottom from highest rated to lowest rated, give a ranking on a scale of one to 10 for how excited we are. And then one sentence, literally one sentence about what we think about him. Is that all right? Works for me. There's going to be a lot of 10 out of 10s though. Yeah, so. there is. And that kind of compresses every other question into that one. So sorry for calling the audible, but <laughs> fair enough. Avery Johnson, 10 out of 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. Easy 10. Best quarterback I... commit K-State's ever had. Retweet. I, I have nothing else constructive to add with Avery. <laughs> He's Avery Johnson. He's going to be great. Terry Kirksey, the Juco linebacker we just talked about. I'm going to give a solid eight because he steps in as an immediate run defending linebacker. If I could go decimals, I'd go 8.5. I'm going to say eight just to, I don't want to get way too into the weeds with the numbers, but eight out of 10 uh, for Kirksey. Love his run defense instincts, and I'm looking forward to seeing him compete next year. Rex Van Wy, another linebacker, probably slots in at Sam. I'm probably going to give him a 7.5. I think he's the heir apparent to Des Purnell and Gavin Forche in that order, but I still think that he's going to be really good at that role once it's his time. Um, Yeah, I'll say 7 out of 10 uh, right now, although that he has a lot of potential to go up because I he's somebody that really could, if he takes the necessary steps, be a big factor next year. Will Lee, Juco cornerback from Iowa, or rather from St. Louis, but played at Iowa. Uh, 10 out of 10. He's, I know this comp has been tossed around. He's Julius Brent's 2.0, but is faster and more sticky. And that should terrify you. Uh, I'm going to give him a 10 out of 10 as well. And he shut down Alabama commits five-star Malik Benson in the Juco national title. That is very impressive. That's my sentence. That's yeah. <laughs> Joe Jackson, running back from Florida, 9 out of 10. I think he's an immediate receiving option. I really do think that his speed is – it went from being his best quality to being slept on, and I don't understand how that happened in the period of like two weeks. 9 out of 10 for me as well. Um, I think he's somebody that we see next year. Uh, I think he's that good and he's completely flying under the radar because of recent additions and uh, the running back position already being pretty solid. But I really, really like Joe Jackson. Yeah. Trace Bivey, we already just kind of talked about him. I'm going to give him a nine. I'll give him an eight. Almost. I'll give him a nine. And he, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Might see him a little next year. He is also Junior Spivey's kid. That's cool. Donovan McIntosh, corner from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm going to give him an eight, solid eight and a half. Good corner. I think he's just going to get buried a little bit because of our, our good room. I'm going to give him a nine. I I think he is going to end up being really good. We won't see him immediately, but he's someone that's going to hibernate for a couple years maybe and then really become something, I think. I think he could. he really does have the potential to be great. Jordan Allen, from the edge player from Olathe South, easy, easy 10 out of 10 for me. And 
is just an athletic freak of nature who also happens to be tight playing defensive end. Uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 as well. Uh, we beat Tennessee and Oklahoma for this guy. So that says a lot. He's super athletic, really, really strong, and I am looking forward to watching him play in the semi-near future. Yep. Asa Newsom, we already talked about him, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for Asa. What a huge recruiting dub. Yep, as Maple is being a menace as always. but <laughs> She does not understand what's going on, but she'll live. Next up, wide receiver from Blue Valley in Kansas, 6'4", receiver Andre Davis. Uh, easy nine and a half for me because I think he eventually – we have two 6'4 receivers, and Andre Davis is one of the best contested catch receivers I've seen. Um, I will give Andre a nine out of ten. Uh, the only reason I'm not getting him a ten is because I don't think he steps on the field immediately for us. Um, but I – which I guess isn't a fair comparison because a lot of these guys aren't, but uh, <laughs> I'm still giving him a nine anyways. Um, part of it at least is because this is such a deep class uh, receiver. Uh, so it, it, it'll be a while before we see him, but he's super, super talented. Yep. Colin Dunn linebacker from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm going to give him a solid seven and a half because he's not bad. It's just, Again, I, I think that he's going to be in a situation where he's going to need a little bit more time to marinate. I think he's he is a really good athlete. I think he's probably going to end up slotting at Will Backer eventually, but seven and a half. Uh, I will give him a seven. I, I like Colin Dunn uh, a lot. He's definitely flying under the radar. He's kind of the first of, I'll say, like the second wave of uh, commits in terms of rankings because there's kind of a sizable gap between him and Andre Davis on on three. Uh, but I like Holland Dunn a lot, and I think he will be a contributor at some point. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Des Purnell um, in some ways where he's going to – he plays safety, I think, in high school was listed as a safety for a while, but I think he'll end up being – he'll be a linebacker at K-State. So similar to similar dev path, maybe we end up seeing him as like a covered Sam or something like that, but we'll see. Yep. Next is Kenigel Thomas, the corner from Oklahoma City. And this was, I feel like this is one of the most underrated guys in the class. I have been listed at an eight and a half because he's deceptively sticky and he's kind of a, you mentioned it before, he's a throwback corner for us. Yeah. I'm going to give him a nine. I love Kenigel Thomas. Uh, I think he is one of the steals of the class. Uh, we got him at camp. And yeah, he is a throwback corner. He feels like a Bill Snyder era corner where it's just kind of those uh, undersized bulldog corners. Jacob Parrish is in the same vein. Uh, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops. Yeah. Next, safety from Wichita Collegiate in Wichita, Kansas, Wesley Fair, nine Kansas kid, freak athlete, develops into a free safety, probably ends up being a ball hawk. I'm going to give him an eight. Uh, the only reason I'm giving him an eight is because, again, it's a deep room and there's a lot of guys to beat out, but I also really like him. Uh, he played quarterback uh, in high school as well, uh, which I really like for defensive back guys because that uh, it gives them a bit of an edge 
in understanding what the quarterback is going to do and what they're thinking. So that will probably lead to him maybe getting earlier opportunities for playing time because he'll digest uh, what's being thrown at him a little bit better, hopefully. But I like him a lot. Yeah. Will Anciao, the 6'6 tight end from Cape and Mount Carmel in Wichita, Kansas. Me, this is a nine and a half out of 10 because as soon as he fills out his frame, he's just going to be a cookie jar tight end that bullies people. Yeah, I'm going with a nine out of 10 uh, for Will Anciao. I like him a lot. I think he's super underrated by pretty much every recruiting service. Uh, he's only like an 83 on on three. And I think that he's going to end up being a really good receiving threat for us. Uh, long arms, uh, pretty good runner as well. But I, he could be a pretty big steal, I think. Next is edge player from prolific Eden Prairie in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. That is Kitty Obiezor. Uh, six and a half because I think that he... First off, he's not beating out to the other people in this class. I think he kicks in to be a more solid defensive tackle or ends up kicking out a lot and fills out a lot to become a nose tackle. Both, I think, will take a little bit of time, but I really like the athletic upside. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm giving him a seven, and the only reason is because I get very excited when I think about his athletic potential. Uh, his film at defensive end is really spotty. Sometimes he just absolutely eviscerates people in front of him, but I, he definitely does have a, he's a low floor, high ceiling guy that we're taking a flyer on and he's a pretty good basketball player too. Devin Voss, the offensive tackle from Lakeland, Florida or Bartow, Florida, Lakeland's the high school. I'm going to give him a solid nine and a half. I, he's to me, he's, I don't think Jackson Fulmer ends up, cutting it as like the true offensive tackle. I think he probably kicks into guard. I've, I've always said that, but David Voss as a true left tackle, ooh, baby, he has promise. I'm going to give Voss a nine out of 10. Uh, he, we're, there have not been many misses by Connor Riley uh, at offensive line uh, and Devin Voss. He, he brings a lot of promise and a lot of potential. Uh, they're, there was some speculation that he was being chased uh, by some other schools all the way up to signing day. Uh, and I, he, he could really be great. His film is spectacular. Uh, he just absolutely embarrasses some dudes. And it's crazy that he went as under the radar as he did until so late while being at such a big high school that won a state title in Florida. Yep. Ryan Davis, the edge player from Phoenix, Arizona, eight and a half. I, him and Jordan Allen are going to be a nightmare to defend. For a long time, I was not excited at all for Ryan Davis. And then I watched his senior film and I honestly say I'm a 10 out of 10 for Ryan Davis. I, I, be, I have all of a sudden become a huge Ryan Davis fan. I think he is going to be really, really good. He has a chance to be an all conference type of guy for K state with the uh, ferocity uh, and also the speed and athleticism he brings off the edge. He's exactly what we want out of an edge rusher, and he's pretty similar to Jordan Allen in that regard. Uh, and I I think both of those guys could have really stellar careers at K-State uh, on the edge. Yep. Cameron Salas, the six-foot safety from Kennendale, Texas, eight. 
you know, good safety depth. And it, trust me, we're going to need safety depth running a three safety defense. Yeah. Eight as well for me. Uh, I really like Salas a lot. Um, it'll be a while before he sees the field, but I like his athletic potential. Uh, and I like uh, Texas athletes because they generally uh, come in with a uh, more complete um, athletic uh, archetype. And I think that Cameron Salas could be a guy that really uh, contributes a little earlier than we anticipate, but it'll be difficult to break through in the defense back room. Yeah. Jackson Fulmer, the interior offensive line. So they did outright change it from Meridian, Idaho. He's going to be a mauler. I'm going to give him a probably an eight because thinking about him, Voss and a later commit Camden BB, or I guess, much earlier, earlier in the timeline, but you know what I mean? That that's going to be a good mauling offensive line. Fulmer, I'm going to give it nine uh, on the excitement level. I really like Fulmer. And the big thing with me on Fulmer is uh, I think this year would have only been his second season as an offensive lineman. And that tells me that his potential is through the roof because his junior film, he was already destroying dudes. And like even his camp film, uh, he was destroying guys. So he has a very, very high ceiling uh, as Jackson Fulmer. So I think that I, I'm very excited about him. Yep. Andrew Metzger, we already talked about. I'm going to give him a solid nine because he's going to be that more traditional tight end, the sort of yin to Ansio's yang. Nine as well uh, for me on Metzger. Although if you'd asked me the second that he committed, I would have said like a five or a four yeah. uh, just because I didn't get it. But I've seen his film and I've seen the light. So uh, a nine for me with Metzger. Jace Brown, the wide receiver from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Solid seven for me. He's going to be a good third wide receiver, a good glue guy for the receiver room. I'm going to give Brown a six. And it's not anything against him. It's just because he has felt like the odd guy out in this cl- in the receiver class. Although I do think that uh, based on his film, we could see him try uh, the safety room. But at the same time, he's also a really good route runner. And has shades of RJ Garcia in his high school tape. But this is going to be a five-man high school class, I think. Four or five-man. Four. And then also Keegan Johnson. So that's a lot of guys there. Uh, But I'm hopeful that Jace Brown can find a way to break through and surprise us. Uh, But I still like him. Yeah, I do as well. Camden Beebe, the interior offensive lineman from Piper and KCK. Solid eight and a half. He's better than Cooper was coming out of high school. And it's the exact opposite attitude. (laughs) But it's it's awesome to have another BB come in and just maul dudes. I'm going to give him a nine. Um, We've had plenty of success with the first BB brother. So we've got to be really excited uh, to bring in another one. And both of his older brothers, the other one went to Minnesota. Um, have been very successful college players, so nothing I expect nothing less from Camden. So, uh, at the very minimum, I see a starting offensive lineman in the future. Yeah, Wesley Watson, the 6'1 wide right receiver from College Station, Texas. Eh, I'm gonna give him same slightly above Jace Brown, seven and a half, because I think he's gonna be that sleet that not sleazy, wow, speedy slot guy. <laughs> 
and also probably could he has the speed to return if Jacob Parrish doesn't take that next year. I'm going to give him an eight. Uh, his film showed a very complete receiver uh, as things stand. I think his ceiling is a little bit lower than the other guys in the class, but uh, his floor is fairly high. And I think that puts him in a position to maybe see snaps next year. Um, not a lot, but I, I could totally see him being an off the bench slot guy if necessary, or just a guy that rotates in, maybe even play special teams. But I like Wesley Watson a lot. Yeah. Austin Romaine, linebacker, 6'2", from Hillsboro, Missouri. Six and a half. It's an all right commitment to me. I think that he's someone who, if he plays, will well, he's going to play eventually. It'll just take a few years because he's going to – I'm sorry, I don't see Austin Romaine breaking through a room of Asa Newsom, Jake Clifton, Toby Osinsanmi, Colin Dunn, Terry Kirksey, Gavin Forche, and Des Purnell. <laughs> Yeah, that's tougher to break through. I'm going to give him a seven. I like Oscar Main a lot. He's very underrated athletically as well. Uh, and I I think he's also another guy that's flying under the radar right now. Again, the path of playing time is pretty narrow for him. But I do really like Austin Romain. And I'm hopeful that we see something from him because he had a very successful high school career. Jack Fabris is next. The safety from Bogart, Georgia. I'm going to give him a seven and a half because I think he's going to end up being a special teams demon who eventually steps in as a strong safety. Yeah, I'll give him a seven. Uh, I think this guy has the Ross Elder career arc written all over him. Uh, and I think that he's somebody that probably um, earns their stripes later in his career as a defensive player. But I think he put it well. I think he's going to be really good on special teams early. I think he's a bit more developed as an athlete than people think, even if he does have a lower ceiling in that department, but I like him. So seven for me. Yep. Asher Tomaszewski from Chicago, the nose tackle. Seven and a half. I feel like he's going to develop into a good nose tackle. Nose tackle is going to be a developmental position, but he has the size for it. Yeah, I'll give him a seven as well. His film is limited, but what we did have the last time we watched, which was when he committed, was pretty good because he, he's a nose, but most of his film is offensive line. Yeah. But uh, when we see a senior film, we're going to have a more complete picture uh, with Asher. Uh, so I'll I'll roll to seven for now, but that could go up or down. Just need more context. Yeah, I agree. So that's that's the entire class that doesn't include transfers. And we're not going to do the recruiting rankings episode this time, but just know that this class has given us an insanely, it's made us both very excited for when it happens in, you know, six, seven months. Yeah. I am really looking forward to the recruiting episode already. And However, at the same time, I'm dreading it a little bit because it's going to be really, really hard to rank these guys. Last year, it wasn't that difficult, honestly. There were a couple surprises in there. Jake Clifton was the big surprise on film, I think, uh, for me at least. That and Drake Beckwith. He really came out of nowhere to have good film. But this year, there's a lot of really quality guys uh, that are probably separated in like three tiers um, apiece. But they're going to be really difficult to separate within those tiers. Um, and then there's also a lot more of them this year, especially if you include Juco's. Uh, so it's, 
it's going to be a daunting task, but I'm really looking forward to it regardless. Yeah. So yeah, that's signing day and what a day indeed. But now we can move on to firstly men's basketball, starting with the big Wildcat victory in the Sprint Center, not calling it the other name, up against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It was a 71-56 Wildcat victory. The Big 12 Championship trophy was there. One of the Alley Cats was there and also got to meet Bosco's boys. <laughs> So I Connor, met, you, I you met the Bosco boy. Yeah, you met the uh, Bosco boy. You can tell that experience. The game or meeting Scott Wildcat? Uh, both. Okay. Well, the game was pretty fun. Uh, hung around power and light before. Went to a mini golf bar that was super overpriced beforehand. But it's power and light. So that's what it is. It, yeah. I mean, it's it's not going to be 50 cent wells at Yard Park. So yeah. you, know, you got to be ready going in. But that was pretty fun. Uh, then... Before that, had uh, Casey Joe's, the one in Lenexa, I think. And that was pretty good as well. Um, then went to the game, uh, to got a picture of the Big 12 Championship trophy. The crowd was bigger than I anticipated. The official announced attendance was 13,184. I was expecting a little over 10. And so I was pretty pleased with that. I was bustling. There were a lot of K-State people walking around. Um and uh, I had a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. Uh, the crowd got pretty loud at times. Nebraska contingent got loud a few times as well. Uh, but Casey really dominated this game, uh, especially down the stretch. And they had a few particular stretches uh, where it felt like nothing could stop them. But I, I was really happy with the experience. I refuse to call it not the Sprint Center because I think that it, it just sounds wrong to say but. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, tickets were not expensive at all, especially because I got a four-pack. But I, I don't know. I thought it was super fun afterwards. Spent a little time in Power and Light. Uh, that was pretty cool. Got more overpriced drinks. But uh, that's the Power and Light experience, I guess. Uh, and that's a pretty cool area of town as well. Uh, only thing I wanted to do that I didn't do was ride the streetcar. But I, it will still be there next time I'm there, probably. Probably. Yeah, you, you also met Scott. Yeah, I did meet Scott, which that was completely out of the blue. Because uh, it was after the game, and we were all walking out. And I was like looking around for the door, and I just caught him. And I was like 95% sure it was him, but I had never actually met him in person. I've seen him like through Zoom, but I've never actually met him. Hmm. So I like was just squinting at him for a little bit. I probably looked really dumb when he saw me because he was... <laughs> Because, because uh, he like immediately recognized me, and I was sitting there like afraid of like, what if it's not Scott? And I like go up to this guy, but then um, I stopped and chatted with him for a little bit, uh, and that was super fun. And uh, meet Scott Wildcat. Also saw after like two minutes after that, uh, saw one of my old roommates. I saw his older brother and his friends like walking out as well. So saw a few people that we knew, and I saw some guys, uh, some college friends in the student section. I was like sitting in the corner above the student section and they saw me because I just was looking around and like during a timeout and they were just staring at me and it was a very weird experience, but that was pretty fun. Um, but all, all in all, really fun experience. Glad I went. Um, I definitely have learned my lesson on parking because I ended up paying way too much for parking and, but I, I will do better next time. Yeah. 
We'll probably talk about the game now. Uh, do you want to get starters? Yeah, I'll take starters. Okay. Um, so starting uh, with Keontae Johnson, he's been the leader of this team for a while now. Uh, 35 minutes for him. He went 9 of 13 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, uh, 3 of 6 at the free throw line. And then that was a total of 23 points. He also had um, 11 rebounds. Five of them were offensive rebounds. I had a foul, two assists, four turnovers, four steals. Uh, so double-double for Keontae Johnson. Uh, had a big lob as well. I mean, he was just fantastic in this game. Only thing that you can improve on really is free throw shooting. But, I mean, there, there's a lot to like from that performance for Keontae Johnson. Um, Naquan Tomlin, uh, second in scoring, 6-10 from the field, 2-5 from 3, 1-2 at the free throw line, had 15 points. Then added seven rebounds, one offensive, had three fouls, two assists, no turnovers, two blocks, and two steals. Marquise Noel, uh, not an efficient scorer, but still reached double figures, had 13 points on three of 14 from the field, three of 11 from three, four of four at the free throw line, one rebound, one foul, seven turnovers, uh, seven assists to two turnovers. Glad he did not have seven turnovers. Um, <laughs> and then had two steals as well. Cam Carter played 26 minutes, 10 points on three attempts in the field, two of five from three, two of two free throw line, two rebounds, two fouls, two assists, two turnovers. And then David Gasson rounded out the starting lineup. Uh, did not score a lot, only had one bucket, and it was an alley-oop right before halftime. Uh, and then was uh, one of three at the free throw line, had three points, uh, one of four at, from the field, eight rebounds, three of them offensive, three fouls, three assists, one turnover, a block, and a steal. So pretty well-rounded game for David Kassan, even if he didn't have a ton of production. But, um, I mean, the starters carry the load uh, in this game yet again, uh, especially Keontae Johnson and Naquan Tomlin. Those guys had really great games. Keontae Johnson continues to be the driving force on this team, far and away the best guy. Naquan Tomlin, though, has been coming into his own. He had like a two-game slump there. For a while and that was a little concerning but whatever issues were ailing him during that stretch he is seemingly over it so that that's good for him um but at this point he's averaging 10 points a game six assists or six rebounds i should say but uh, i guess you have the bench guys although yeah unfortunately we're not as interesting as the starters yeah there are two bench guys First off is Desi Sills, who played 28 minutes, one of six from the field. One, that was a three. Made both of his free throws, though. Got four rebounds, three fouls, four assists, two turnovers, five total points. Then finally, Tyke Green played 10 minutes, one of three from the field. Misses one, three, uh, two rebounds, one foul, one turnover, two total points. So, you know, not a lot, of, not a lot needed from the bench, but it was, you know, it was a good day for the Cats. Shot 35.7 from three, which is all right. Yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty solid number to shoot from three. Not fantastic, but, I mean, as a team, that that's a decent enough number. Yeah. But this was, this was not a bad Nebraska team. We were kind of dumpstering them before the season, but this is not a bad Nebraska team. They're actually quite good. And we handled them pretty pretty well. Yeah, I was primarily worried about Derek Walker, um, but he only ended up with seven points. He made one field goal in this game. Derek Walker 
uh, was somebody that uh, he missed the first handful of games for Nebraska, uh, as far as I know. And uh, since then, uh, he he's averaging 14 points on the game. K-State, his only game to not reach double figures on the season. And it was definitely his worst shooting performance of the year. Uh, he had 22 points against Creighton in that game. Uh, but he was a non-factor against uh, K-State. And in fact, most of Nebraska's lineup did not really have great games, um, which is really interesting because Fred Hoiberg of Nebraska is kind of an offensive guy. And Nebraska did not have a very good offensive night whatsoever, really in any measurable stat, only 19% from three, 32% from the field. Uh, they just they didn't play well. They had 18 turnovers, just nine assists compared to K-State having 20 assists on 14 turnovers. Uh, but again, a lot of those are just Keontae Johnson, heavy usage turnovers, and he's just not a very good ball handler. But not, that's really Keontae Johnson's only downfall is when he gets the ball in his hand and tries to post up. If you go, if you're a wing defender and he's posting up like in the lane, just go and wave your arm in his general direction and he'll probably lose the ball. And that's really his only weakness. But yeah, K-State, they, they played a really good game. And they were a lot of fun to watch, had some big dunks, nothing like the next game we're going to cover, but uh, it, was, it was a really fun game. Uh, glad Casey got the, the victory uh, at the neutral site against a, an old rival. Yep. So next up is the game up against Radford in the city of Lobs and Mobs, Manhattan, Kansas. And this was a 73 to 65 victory. It was way too close, but at the, that that's the first and foremost thing it was it was way too close and we had some nap time which that's always been the the issue with this team to me is we'll have an amazing like you know blow the roof off the place type play and then it's nap time yep i guess you got the starters this time oh baby and did we have some performances today? And starting, you can't discuss this game without discussing the leading scorer, and that is Naquan Tomlin, who played 33 minutes, 11 of 18 from the field, one of four from three, got all three of his free throws, nine rebounds, six offensive, two fouls, one assist, two blocks, one steal, and 26 total points. I'm pretty sure that he reaped the soul of the rim multiple times, including one of the biggest tomahawk dunks that I've ever, I watched it. You and I both, you and I texted each other at the same time. And we both said, yeah, my mouth was hanging open for like a good minute afterwards. Cause that shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I, my mouth was sitting there agape for probably a, a full minute after that happened. And I, cause I, I just couldn't believe it. And I mean, he had multiple dunks of similar quality throughout the game. I mean, he a lot of it has to do with his wingspan. I get that. Um, but he's also such a naturally athletic guy, and it looks cool. So I'm going to allow it. But And I think it was KSU fan, um, KSU underscore fan on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he posted it about a uh, number of dunks in a season. And Naquan Tomlin's already made his way into the top 10 for dunks in a season for a Wildcat. He is well on pace to break that record at this point in time. And uh, uh, I, he is so much fun to watch. Um, as a team, we probably had like 10 dunks in this game. I, I I don't remember exactly how many we have, but 
I mean, Naquan Tomlin made 11 field goals. At least half of those were dunks. Yeah. So KJ, Keontae Johnson, also had a dunk, but was 6 for 15 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3, 4 of 7 on his free throws, 7 rebounds, 3 offensive, 1 foul, 3 assists, 16 total points. It was kind of an off day for him. He wasn't bad by any means, but not, not the KJ we're used to. Uh, Marquise Noel, 36 minutes, 3 of 6 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, including one of his patented logo threes, 2 of 2 from the free throws, 4 rebounds, 11 assists, 6 turnovers, 2 steals, 10 points. So a double-double. Turnovers a little bit concerning, back to a little bit of the old Marquise Noel, but still not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Sorry, Maple's being a menace again. Uh, David Gasson. 21 minutes, 3 of 5 from the field, 1 of 3 from free throw. Kind of pack a shack a little bit. 7 rebounds, 2 offensive, 2 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 1 block, 7 points. And then rounding out the starting lineup is Cam Carter. 27 minutes, 1 of 5 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3. 5 rebounds, 1 offensive, 3 fouls, 2 assists, 1 steal, 2 total points. So, again, this was the Naquan Tomlin yam game. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, he had the incredible tomahawk slam where he had the open three. And, you know, that hasn't been his best shot this year. Although, credit to him, his three-point percentage is a lot better than it was because I think it was below 10% for a bit, and it's up to 31% now. Uh, But he uh, um, passed up the open three that he was – that he had hit in this game. And – elected to instead take a mid-range and then he passed up the mid-range as well and just went in for the incredible tomahawk that was really good awareness uh from naquan tomlin to um pass up a few uh open shots to take an even easier one yeah i think that that's amazing but you have the the bench players yeah so desi sills had one of his better games i think uh at least shooting the ball he was very efficient in this game because he's really struggled with the three ball this year at times but it seems like he was kind of starting to figure it out in this game like he's only shooting 16 percent from three on the year which is is obviously pretty pretty poor uh but he um goes two of three from three points All right, for what is it, like the third time in five episodes we had internet difficulties. It's fine. It's okay. It's all okay. Bench players. <laughs> yeah, Desi Sills has a better shooting day than he's normally had. Uh, four rebounds as well, one foul. Uh, no assists, three turnovers, so that's an area that he needs to work on. Uh, and then two steals, finish with 10 points. Uh, Bayami Ijiola got his first playing time in a while. Uh, so it was nice to see him back at 11 minutes, one of three from the field, uh, two points, three rebounds, one offensive, and then three fouls, one turnover, and then two blocks. He had a monster block at one point. I, it was, I think, in the first half, just absolutely. He, he literally sent it into the, the seats. Granted, it was the courtside seats, but it was still the seats. And then uh, Ishmael played four minutes, had a foul and an assist, and didn't really do much else. Um, but yeah, Desi Sills, the highlight off the bench. No Dorian Finister uh, in, in this one. No Tyke Green either. Uh, but we do get a Bayamiagiola and Ishmael back 
at least. So there is that. And then as a team, we shot uh, 49% from the field, 29% from three, 66% the line. Shot way better in the second half, almost 60% from the field in that half, but not very good from three. But then again, a lot of the three-point misses were Keontae Johnson and his shots that he normally makes. So I'm not that concerned about it. Uh, he missed a few wide open ones, just rimmed out. So I'm not worried about Keontae Johnson. He was shooting like almost 50% from three going into this game. So he, he wasn't going to sustain that. But the fact that he was even there makes me not concerned at all about uh, his future efforts from three-point land. Yeah. I'm not concerned either. And speaking of concern, which we're not, <laughs> it's the the next game for the men's basketball team after a break for the holidays and Christmas season. They open up on New Year's Eve against West Virginia in Bramlage Coliseum. That is also Lego Day. So <laughs> now I have to. Go. I'd I'd be there if I didn't have a wedding that started at the site at the exact same time as this game. So I I would totally be there. Or like yeah. Lego I mean the yeah. game, definitely the game. <laughs> definitely not Lego Day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, now moving on to women's basketball. We can kind of kind of breeze through these next two because they weren't overly interesting. In fact, we can just kind of go over top scores for both if you don't mind. But first game was up against Northern Colorado, and that was a sixty-nine to fifty-seven victory. Quite nice. And I just covered the starters and top scores from the previous game. So you can cover the starters and top scores from this one. Yeah. So top score for K-State, surprise, surprise, Gabby Gregory uh, went 39 minutes and finished with 20 points on a fairly efficient day from the field. 7 to 13 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3 and 3 of 4 at the free throw line. Had nine rebounds, so very, very close to a double-double. Then three assists, two steals. So stuffing the stat sheet. Uh, then Bradley Glenn had 17, 5 of 10 from the field, uh, 1 of 3 from 3, 6 of 7 at the line. So good for the 17. Then Serena Sundell had 12 points, and Jalen Glenn had 10 points. That's all the people in double figures for the women's basketball team there. Uh, getting four of the five starters in double figures in this one. Yep. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty solid victory over Northern Colorado. Again, you'd like to win by more than 12, but hey. What can you do? Yeah. It is what it is. Not a, not a huge deal um, in uh, that department. I was able to watch some of this game in bits and pieces. I was at the laundromat while, while this game was happening. So I watched some of it. Wasn't able to watch all of it. But of course, I watched for solid. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that we were 9 for 20 from 3, 45%, which is very good. Yeah, that's a higher percentage than we shot from the field, uh, the from non-three, I guess I'll say, but um, or just total shots, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, all around a pretty solid performance there. Uh, trailed off a bit as the game went, if you go by shooting percentages. Um, but regardless, uh, a dub is a dub over a uh, not bad uh, Northern Colorado squad. They're seven and three after this game, but yeah, solid performance. Yep. Then next up was up against Morgan State. This was a considerably more wide victory. 77 to 46 in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. 
Again, surprise, surprise, top scorer was Gabby Gregory with 20. Then you had a bunch of people. The only other person in double digits was Rebecca Dollinger, who managed to hit two of her three, uh, two of three of her threes. That's a strange sentence. And also had <laughs> had 12 total points. But Briley Glenn had six. Jalen Glenn had six. Serena Sandel had four, which is a weird off day for her. Uh, Sarah Shamatsi had four. Emily Everett had nine. Heavenly Greer had eight. Liza Moppin had four. Taylor Lauterbach had four. And both Michaela Parks and Mimi Gatewood both ended up logging minutes but not scoring. Um, uh, three points. Not great. 22.7%. Yeah. Two of 10 in the first quarter. And then subsequently, the three point attempts trailed off, as I would imagine Jeff Mitty said, hey, stop that. And we yeah. did. And uh, shooting percentages actually were pretty good uh, in total, especially going 9 of 11 in the fourth quarter. We ended up shooting 49% as a team and 76% from the charity stripe. But yeah, 22% from three, not going to cut it. We continue to be very, very wishy-washy uh, in that department. Luckily, Gabby Gregory had a pretty solid day, all things considered. So, But yeah, kind of a weird day for the rest of the team. Uh, this is a day where everybody got some, but almost no one did particularly well other than Gabby Gregory and then Rebecca Dollinger having, uh, I think probably the best game of her K-State career with uh, those 12 points. Uh, so good for her. And then Emily Ebert, unfortunately her uh, free throw make streak died in this game. Uh, I was listening to the radio broadcast because I was driving around uh, during it. And the broadcast spent like a full minute talking about, uh, their free throw streak and actually made 38 in a row or something like that and mm-hmm. like how great it was and how she'd been automatic and she missed the next one and I was like how see, did they not see that coming <laughs> that's funny because on the ESPN plus broadcast Brian Smolder said that he was talking with Jeff Mitty beforehand and Mitty's apparently a baseball fan and Smolder said like so, I so, think so he's a little stitious yeah, he's a little, little stitches. Stitch. And apparently as soon as he missed, he went, he looked over at Smoller, pointed at him and mouthed, this is your fault. They said on the broadcast that she did break the record um, for longest streak in total because it went back to last season. Uh, but I, I think they probably want her to get to 40 because it was at 38. Yeah. So, but at least that's what the radio was saying. They were saying that she broke the record but I don't know if I heard that correctly, but regardless, still a fantastic streak to hit 38 in a row. Half of the men's team can't get two in a row. So uh, it's, it's pretty good job for only ever. I say that that's not even true. They're generally pretty good at free throw shooting. It's just the guys that shoot the most free throws can't string them together, which is Keontae Johnson, David Kassan. But um, yeah, really great achievement for uh, Emily Ebert. Um, which kind of gets lost in the stat lines because she just had a, a pretty um, fine um, day. Yeah. It was an okay day off the bench and nothing spectacular, but not double figures. Nine and six, and then four assists, two turnovers, and three steals. That is stuff in the stat sheet, though. It's a, a sneaky good game from Emily Ebert. Yep. So the next game for the women's basketball team is up against Texas down in Austin on New Year's Eve. That's tough. That's tough. That's their conference favorites for a reason. It is. I was mainly thinking about this from the fact that there's like triple the reason 
or double the reasons that people wouldn't be able to watch it. Cause not only is it on Longhorn network, but the sugar bowl will be wrapping up at about the time it starts. Uh, men get a tough draw as well for that. Cause they get a home game the same day as the sugar bowl. Uh, so basketball team gets tough luck multiple times because of the sugar bowl or because of the success of the men's uh, of the football team, I should say. Um, but the, it will be the last conflict that the football team causes and it's a good one. So, but yeah, that's a tough way to start the road uh, slate for big 12 play. Granted, there's really nowhere that you want to start road play for the big 12, but just take them one at a time. And we'll, we'll learn a lot about this team from the Texas game. That's the first time I did the muted thing. That's the first time. Did you I mute did. yourself? Yes, oh. I did. That's well, congratulations, Ace. You're you're officially an old. How does it feel? <laughs> great. <laughs> it feels great. Well, you don't mean that. Your knees hurt. I my knees hurt anyway. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> I you're you're all right. I didn't mean to poke on at that. <laughs> that was an old joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe I am an old. But that's pretty much the actual recap stuff. Now we can go into the wacky segment of the week. And it starts with context. Chiefsaholic, if you uh, follow... <laughs> well, you, let's just say that you're a, if you're a KC Twitter fan, you, you had some of the best hours of your life. I almost started crying because I was laughing so hard. And Connor and I have gotten our mileage out of a little bit of it. But it, it, it posed a question to me. If Willie the Wildcat, as the entity, not the man playing him, but the entity of Willie the Wildcat, were convicted of a crime, what would it be? I labored with this question for a while, trying to think of wholesome crimes, or at the very least, not evil things. Yeah. So had to rule out a lot of felonies, unfortunately, which is a shame, because I learned a lot about felonies this yeah. semester. So We're uniquely equipped for these questions. Yeah. So I, I am going to roll with one that I know a little bit about. I'm going to say larceny. Um, that's one that I learned pretty well. I learned the common law elements of that pretty well. It's the uh, trespassery taking or carrying away of the personal property of another with the intent to steal or deprive. And I think that Willie would get caught stealing popcorn from a fan at a game and would subsequently be charged with criminal larceny and receive a literal slap on the wrist from Taylor Blair, from Taylor Pratt and <laughs> would walk away scot-free. But at the next home game for either men's basketball or football, whatever is in season, uh, he would be seen wearing a, uh, a prisoner outfit uh, to, to pay for his crimes. I'm actually going to go... I, I, I could have just said tax evasion or something like you that. You could have said but... tax evasion. I'm I'm going to go with disturbing the peace, and that's for one reason and one reason only. I think that Willy Wildcat goes up and down just like a residential neighborhood in like a, a convertible, and he's just blaring the Wabash Cannonball at inappropriate volumes. And he does this for so long that people get tired of it, and eventually he does it consistently enough that he gets convicted for disturbing the peace. That would make sense, I, especially if it was like in Lawrence and not Manhattan, because people yeah. in Manhattan wouldn't mind. But another one that just came to mind involving a car as well, uh, it could um, definitely he could definitely catch some. I'm not super familiar with like traffic uh, laws, but 
some sort of like uh, reckless driving charge um, for um, whenever Joker and the Thief comes on his radio, he um, takes the keys out of the ignition and <laughs> starts uh, uh, shaking them in the air and like causes like a wreck or something like that. But nobody's uh, injured. But nobody's injured. Nobody's injured. Uh, the real answer that both of us are saying is murder and the bodies are buried in Bramlage. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Again, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow the show or contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A-Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at Edwards 0 I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, we hope you have a good one and celebrate it with the people you love. And most importantly, stay safe, Valley Cats.